This podcast is brought to you by Sport Nova Scotia and the Athlete Advisory Committee. Before we dive in, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast in Mi'kma'ki, the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Mi'kmaq people. We are fortunate to work, play, and enjoy sport on their land and are grateful for all the contributions of all of its peoples. This includes African Nova Scotians, whose histories, legacies, and contributions have enriched the part of Mi'kma'ki known as Nova Scotia for over 400 years. Welcome to the Sport Nova Scotia podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Nicholson, and this series highlights conversations about mental health by athletes for athletes. We sit down with experts to discuss various topics in mental health and how it relates to sport. Today on the final episode of this series, we will be talking about transitioning out of sport with Tina Daru and Jeremy Bartholomews. Yeah, so my name is Tina Daru. I work as a mental performance consultant with the Canadian Sport Institute Atlantic. And I also work as a personal trainer at the YMCA. Outside of my experiences working with a lot of provincial level athletes, I work with people of all ages on helping them learn physical skills. And a lot of them have been in sport previously. So I actually deal with people in their 60s and 70s. And we have conversations of when they've transitioned out of sport and so I, I feel like I get the full spectrum conversation with people about this. How long have you been a mental performance consultant? I mean, technically, I'm not a professional member yet, but I've been working on this stuff since 2017. Nice. Yeah. So my name is Jeremy Bartholomews. Uh, I'm a recently retired athlete. Uh, I was a competitive gymnast for about 18 years, a Team Canada member for five or six years, uh, and a member of the 2019 FISU University Games. And how did you end up transitioning out of sport? What was that like for you? Yeah, it was definitely, a, I'd say, a lengthy process. Um, it was a, a long time coming, for sure. I mean, it's been going well so far. But yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. Like I mentioned, I've spent most of my life in the sport. So transitioning has been a, a, an obstacle or a, a new phase in my life that I've never really had experience in. But um, I'm happy I took that step. Would you say that you chose to transition? Was that done on your own terms? Mm-hmm, it was. I'd, say, I'd definitely say there were some factors that had a lot of influence in my decision, but ultimately it was down to, to me deciding whether I wanted to continue or not. Could you tell us a little bit more about those factors and what influenced that decision for you? Yeah, absolutely. A big one that most kind of athletes can relate to uh, was injuries. I've been kind of battling some chronic injuries throughout the years, uh, specifically a shoulder injury as well as ankle. And in addition to injuries, there was also just the life question in terms of whether I keep pushing with sport at this point in my life. Um, you know, I'm in my mid-20s. I kind of had to think about life after sport as well and whether continuing was in my best interest or if it was time to throw the towel in and uh, pick up with the after after sport components of my life. Do you still remain involved in gymnastics now that you've transitioned out as an athlete? Mm-hmm. I, I try to. I'm, I'm pr- pretty busy just kind of with everything else going on, um, but I still love to coach when I can and as well I'd like to keep involved with the competitive aspect. Tina, you were mentioning before we started that you have been working with tons of people different walks of life and different stages of life who've transitioned out of sport. Could you tell us a little about those conversations at those different stages in life? Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe I'll go chronologically from the younger conversations and then as people age, sort of how that perspective ends up changing or, or has the possibility to change. 
So the younger, probably the youngest athlete that I've spoken to about, like specifically about transitioning out of sport was, I'm going to say 12 years old. They were at a point where they were really feeling like, no, no, I'm done with this. I've been doing this since I was six and that feels like enough. And I don't feel like I'm going to be at the top and I want to hang out with my friends at that like 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, even 60, like really from 12 on, people start seeing what their friends are doing and they're comparing themselves all the time, right? For better or for worse and seeing, oh, I could be doing this instead. Am I enjoying my sport enough or am I seeing a a path for myself and my sport enough to set maybe certain social situations aside or certain academic goals or the ability to make money at a part-time job? Like there's so many ways that we could spend our time. And at 12, 13, people start to become aware of that. And they're like, hmm, is this really what I want to be doing? And parents often at that age, you know, will reinforce to me, like, hey, we don't care. We want them to stay active. We want them to stay moving. We're not one of those parents that's really pushing them to, like, they have to continue. Um, And that's really helpful and useful. And even at 12 or 13, people don't necessarily recognize that their parents genuinely don't care. You know, that they just want the best for them. They just want them to move they still feel that pressure. They still feel like, yeah, but my parents have put this much time. They've driven me to practices. They've done all of this. And and so they still feel that pressure and it feels like a massive decision to make, to be done with their sport. Most of their friends at that time in their life come from their sport. And so it's really, it's not just, am I gonna be done with my sport? It's like, am I gonna not see my friends? Like that's really sort of the question. Am I gonna change my entire identity at 12 years old? Which those of us who are beyond the age of 12, you're like, yeah, totally. You're going to change your identity a bunch of times. But at that time in your life, like this is your whole life, right? So it it feels massive at that time specifically. But I think it's, as a little side note, it's important to note that not everyone sees it as a massive thing. It's really when it's a big part of your identity that that it will feel bigger mm. to you. So not everyone is going to go through a crisis when they leave sport. Mm-hmm. So then as people get older, as they transition to like 16, 17, 18 to like probably 20, let's say, now you have a much better sense. Most have been through puberty. They've they've had their growth spurt. You have a sense of roughly where you land among your peers and probably from your coaches. You have heard certain things about your potential. And so you're making educated guesses about what you're capable of and whether Again, whether you enjoy your sport enough or whether you enjoy the things that you get from your sport, whether it's the fame or the, the status, the, the strength, the flexibility, like there's so many things that people get out of their sport. So again, whether those pros outweigh the cons of the training time and the discomfort of the injuries and the, <laughs> you know, the sprains and the strains and the fatigue and so many other things. Then, yeah, as people are in, I'm going to say like, 22 to 25 maybe they were on a like a varsity team a university team or a college team or rec league something like that now hopefully they've made different friends in it like sometimes you move to a different university a different city so now you have a slightly different social circle so your your transition out of sport isn't your entire friend group it's like okay i had the friends from my youth. I have my friends from university time in my life. And so you can start to see like, oh, it's possible that I could have yet another group of friends and then a different community. So not that it's easier, but you just have more perspective about what that decision might mean for you. And again, you you have more and more knowledge of what you think your potential is. 
in that sport. And again, whether it's worth it to you to continue. And then as people are in their 30s and 40s and 50s and so on, most of the people that I end up having conversations with, it's not because they already transitioned out decades ago. But yeah, I mean, people feel different levels of relief and regret. (laughs) Uh, Relief of like, thank goodness I'm not putting my body through that anymore. (laughs) I'm so happy that I get to choose what I do with my body now. Like I can lift weights as fast or as slow as I want. I can lift whatever weight I want. I can go to a yoga class if I want to. I can do it early in the morning or late at night or with friends or on my own at home, somewhere else, etc. And the regrets sometimes come in more so as a curiosity, like as the what ifs, Uh, especially if there was an injury or they left sport not on their own terms, where it's like, ooh, like I was told by a coach or my parents, or I just had a belief in myself that I could have done X and I did not accomplish that. And so those are sometimes the things that can linger in people's minds years or decades later. And again, it even if you had potential in the sport, doesn't mean that that will be something that haunts you. Like, <laughs> like, it's not like, oh, someone did give me a compliment and therefore I'm guaranteed to have that linger with me forever. No, 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 you're not. <laughs> um, but for some people that does. Yeah. I was just thinking about that identity piece that you're talking about, even when we're thinking of like things that might linger of the what ifs. I know that being a competitive athlete, it takes up a lot of time and yeah. it's a lot of, it's a huge, it's like a full-time job, but yeah, you're absolutely. a child and, or like you're young and that's something that, is a very unique experience to competitive athletes. Jeremy, you've competed at a high level. I just, I'm curious to know what your experience was identity-wise as as a gymnast and what that transition was like when you started moving away from sport. How did that feel moving away from that as an athlete, especially? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like as Tina kind of was talking about that identity piece and everything you touched on was exactly what I had felt and I'm still feeling kind of in this process. In terms of identity for me, like, I think throughout my childhood, throughout my life, gymnast or athlete was like the first describer or Mm -hmm. like identifier I would use for myself because it was such a big component of who I was. I think anytime kind of my name would come up, the first word that would be associated was gymnast or athlete, which was great at the time. But I think in this transition, it's been weird because that was no longer not even just my main identifier, but an identifier I would use for myself anymore. I mean, yeah, I could use different terms like previous athlete, past gymnast, um, but it just didn't have that same kind of feeling to it. But just having that piece was such a big component of, I think, who I define myself to be. And that transition has been, I'd say probably the toughest part is just that identity piece. For the first few months, I was like, who am I? Who am I outside of this? And I could, it took me some time. I kind of had to ask friends, ask family. I'm like, how would you describe me? If you I mean if I wasn't an athlete or without using these identifiers, and of course they had like a huge list of things to to kind of identify me, but there are many that I didn't even recognize myself or I would have mm. thought of to use to identify myself. So that whole journey has been kind of eye opening. I don't think everyone can kind of relate, even non athletes as well. We kind of go through these different phases of our life where we have these uh, big identifiers. I think even for me too, I kind of had this transition while I was finishing up my undergraduate degree. And then this last year, I was like, well, I'm no longer not just an athlete, but I'm no longer a student. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, who, who, who am I outside of sport and school? Those were the two biggest things in my life going on. And I was like, okay, I really kind of have to sit down with my thoughts and not say come up with a new identity, but really figure out who I am and who I want to be outside of sport. I don't know if I can interject, but like yeah. kudos to you for, for A, 
the reflection that you did and then also the conversations that you had with friends and family because that takes a lot of courage to to ask people who am i mm-hmm. like what do you see in me because sometimes you might get an answer that you disagree with you might get an answer that you don't like actually that much mm-hmm. and whether it's you know quote unquote truth or not it's a hard question to ask people so going to your community and asking that is huge and also the why you know you still sort of get out that competitive there there's elements of your sport that you really enjoyed mm-hmm. and you can still get that in other ways Absolutely, right fooling yeah. around in the gym where mm-hmm. it's like oh when i speak with younger really athletes at any age and go okay so tell me what do you love about your sport there's some top reasons well i have friends there yeah. like that's actually <laughs> probably the first reason that almost anyone says that they love their sport they like the people they they like the community there's also a lot of people really like learning new skills Absolutely. And that's something you can do in any sport at any time in your life. And then it's actually less common that people say that they really love competing, Absolutely. which is so ironic to me. <laughs> yeah. But that it's it's actually maybe 10% of people are like, I'm here to compete, yeah. like really and truly. Yeah. And and still, if that is your, your main driver, that's that's all good. What are other areas in life where in the future where you can sort of like scratch that itch, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so as people are making the transition and, and considering their identity, I think it's looking at what drew me to my sor- sport in the first place, what kept me in my sport, and how can I, you know, scratch that itch elsewhere? <laughs> like, Absolutely. what are other areas yeah. of my life where I can meet new friends, where I can learn new skills, and where I can, you know, sort of uh, lean into my competitive side? <laughs> I think that hierarchy that you just mentioned, too, like the social aspect and the skill learning and the competition is exactly how I feel about, about mm. gymnastics. <laughs> but yeah, that, that social aspect, and it kind of as you were talking about that, it, like a light bulb went off in my head too. I, I didn't really even realize how big of a social aspect I had in sport until I really removed myself. Yeah. Was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, like 90% mm-hmm. of my friends were in sport and are from sport. And like I've mentioned, in my mid-20s too, it took me this long to realize, I was like, oh wait, we can still be friends. Yeah. Outside of sport, like just because I'm no longer an athlete doesn't mean that this friendship is over. Yeah. Um, uh, and, it, and it's kind of like, I wouldn't say eye-opening, but it's relieving to kind of feel too that it's like, oh, this wasn't the only reason that like we are friends. It wasn't mm-hmm. because sport and that was the only kind of connection we had. Um, that's maybe what brought us together. But I think also like having that removal factor has also kind of maybe helped my friends were still in sport to have that outside perspective if they're yes. ever kind of facing challenges and stuff, but also bringing my own experience into those conversations has definitely been helpful for them and for myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they, them knowing that you know the sport, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they can, they can vent to you because you're not there all the time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you don't have the same vested interest that someone else does. Absolutely, and they're yeah. like, okay, he's going to get it. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I can have this conversation. And that's probably huge for keeping them in sport. Like oh, if they made the decision yeah. to stay, then they're like, oh, thank goodness there's someone there's outside someone, exactly. yeah. who still gets me because that's the hardest part is, you know, maybe talking to a parent or a friend from school who isn't competitive and they're like, why are you doing this? I don't understand. Like mm-hmm. they don't get the demands. In the, way that the culture and, your, and the environment. Yeah, totally. Plus you would know like all of the people. So yeah, no. yeah. they wouldn't have to kind of go into like a backstory. Exactly. But like you mentioned, it's for sure the culture. Like I just know. And not just with gymnastics, but with across all sports, like there is that level of sacrifice, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, Tina, right? Like you're going through these stages of life from 12 upwards, where it is a lot of like social aspects coming in from non-sports, just different social milestones. And I think it's it's tough to have those conversations with people if you're wanting to vent or just 
just to talk about it for people who aren't involved in sport or don't have these huge commitments at the age of 12 um, it is a totally <laughs> different culture a totally different atmosphere there uh, and it's, it's always nice to kind of know you have those friends or teammates or yeah. peers that you can reach out to who relate to those experiences and can understand maybe the sacrifices or the demands that come with being yeah. in sport yeah it's a strong culture too i when you were talking about your identity i was immediately i thought of like in Instagram bios, I played a team sport in university mm -hmm. and varsity athletes and student athletes in particular, it's like a brand because Instagram bios, people will leave their team name or their jersey number or yeah. something. Mm -hmm. And that's how they describe themselves. So when you were talking about how you went and asked other people how they would describe you, mm -hmm. like absolutely, that's such a huge thing to do because most people, it's so strange that they associate themselves with a number that they wear on their back mm -hmm. like twice yeah. a week. Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of crazy to think about how much that has a hold on people. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's very difficult sometimes to remove yourself from that. And I feel like it, I think it can look super different across different sports too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, even as you touch on that, I mean, I'll be guilty and say it. I think I'm still listed as an athlete on Instagram as well. <laughs> so for any listeners, um, if, you're, if you're kind of finding it hard to part ways with that, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with that too. Uh, but yeah, no, like I think in my mind, it's still been like, okay. I'm no longer an athlete trying to find out kind of different aspects of my identity. But I think there are still like some of those pieces that we kind of want to hold on to, like you mentioned, like especially with the university level or just higher level sport where you feel that greater level of investment that you've put in and you don't want to give that up just kind of overnight. Yeah. Um, even things as far as things that people hold on to, even the style of workout. So oh, as a personal yeah. trainer, when, when I'm meeting someone who maybe they're, I don't know, 55 plus, let's say, and they everything was like a quick powerful movement and maybe they haven't moved for the last 10 years um, in a regular consistent way in the gym let's say mm -hmm. and so then they're coming to personal training and, and they want a certain result and so we're going to work our best to get that but they want to start with that powerful movement that they know mm -hmm. right away and it's like well there's a bit of a hierarchy that we need <laughs> yeah. to follow here we need to make sure you've got really like good solid movement yeah. and I don't know the coaches that you had five decades like a couple decades ago <laughs> exactly. and and what they taught you about how to move your body yeah. and how to be aware of your body yeah. and yeah it's it's interesting the things that will stick in your head of like this is the way that I'm supposed to move yeah. it's just one of many ways that your body can move yeah. right and so I think Absolutely. that's even something that people can consider like what is the way that you were taught to move whether you're um, like a dancer a gymnast an equestrian a swimmer a mm -hmm. football player like what are the typical ways that your sport moves and how can you explore other ways of moving in your life? Like maybe everything was fluid and soft and you want to explore being powerful or mm -hmm. vice versa. Just having the whole the whole buffet available of like, okay, Absolutely. I can move in a lot of different ways, be strong in so many different ways, have endurance in a lot of different ways and, and just see what I'm capable of as I move through life, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's another thing too. I. I'm really bad for when I go to the gym, I'll be there for like an hour and a half and I'll just go through everything. And I don't, I don't warm up the smaller muscles and then move into the bigger <laughs> ones. And it's a huge injury risk. And I like have been really conscious lately of trying to dial back. But I remember first getting out of sport, which wasn't that long ago. I was like, what do I do with all this free time? Mm -hmm. I don't have any competitions or any games or anything to train for anymore. What do I do with my body? Yeah. I know that I'm, I'm used to this structured Yes. schedule of practices and training and mm -hmm. games and my eating habits and everything was like so organized down to a T because it was for something I was using my body for something and all of a sudden there isn't this and, end goal anymore and trying to create a workout schedule oh, that's so yeah. important because the thing is as much as you know we have sports scientists helping our young athletes 
we're still doing the work for them. Mm-hmm. We're still like creating the schedule for them. So when we remove the schedule, have they had to look at their calendar and go, this should go here, this should go there. Mm-hmm. Their class schedule has been decided for them. Their training schedule has been decided for them. Sometimes what they're eating has been decided for them. It's been told to them. So those of us who work in the field, we really have to help them make those mistakes early on in life of like, yeah, if you eat this, how does your body feel? If you Mm -hmm. eat this, how does your body feel? So that they can, when they're outside of sport or competitive sport, we could say they have that thought process of, yeah, how am I going to organize my time? What decisions am I going to make about food or in the gym? Even often most people have their strength and conditioning program that it's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to do this in this order, right? Versus when you're at the gym, well, sometimes that piece of equipment is taken and you can't (laughs) use it yet. Like you have to change the order of your exercises. And so you need to be flexible to do that and recognize the repercussions of doing this move before that. You might not be able to push as hard on that other thing because you tired out your arms on the first thing. And yeah, so I think there's an element of as professionals, we can do better of supporting athletes, of helping them make some decisions for themselves rather than making all the decisions for them so that they have that skill set when they leave of like, yeah, I have had to organize my calendar and Mm -hmm. and decide what I'm going to put in my smoothie or, you know, how I'm going to eat breakfast and what I'm going to do at the gym. And yeah. Yeah. And I think for me even too, that just kind of ties back to this idea of like independence. Mm -hmm. And I think I just across sports, like in my own experience that when you're younger, like there is a lot of like hand holding, like they take you through it. You definitely need it at that stage. It's a lot of things that you shouldn't be expected to really know at maybe 14, 15 and that to kind of take care of yourself. But like, it should be a process that we're not just preparing you for the the length of your athletic career, but for life after. And even for me, like as much as I'd say I was quite independent towards the end of my career there, that transition out and like, I was just kind of stuck in my habits. I was used to four hour practices. So like for the first <laughs> month, I would be like in a a recreational gym doing four-hour workouts and it's just like I'd see people come in and leave and like they're still looking at me I'm still like warming the up staff are like you're yeah. still here yeah I know they're like you're really taking like care of that membership I was like yeah I know um but yeah like that even that too like just kind of getting used to new patterns new routines and just while I would do stuff I'm like do I really need to be doing this like mm-hmm. you're no longer throwing your body through the air like I don't need to have this level of warm-up I don't need this level of fitness probably I think it's a big thing for me too. Like I want to keep fit. I want to keep active. That's what I loved about sport. But I've noticed like I've lost strength. And I think that's something I kind of have to grapple with. Um, And that's okay. And just as long as you're kind of happy with your overall level of fitness. I think as long as your fitness meets your current needs. Because your fitness can change within weeks and months. Oh, absolutely. Like we need to keep that in mind because sometimes people feel like once they've lost it, they'll never get it back. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, no, it's probably just a certain amount of time. So... I think the thing that people need to consider is most athletes have done a session, whether it was with their coaches or with a teacher or maybe their parents taught them about goals or a mental performance consultant. Like someone has probably talked to you about goal Mm -hmm. setting at some point in your life. And that's a skill that will serve you over and over and over for the rest of your life is, okay, by X age or by X date, like what is it that I want to accomplish? And often the further you can go into the future for this, the better, right? So I once had an experience where I was hiking. There was a woman who was 75 who was on this hike with me, and she just kept up with the rest of us. And and I had never seen that. I'd never been. I was 20 at the time, and I had never been exposed to someone 75 like hiking a mountain. I'm from Saskatchewan, by the way. (laughs) So if that mountains in some some places in the world, they're like, yeah, Tina, that happens all the time, but not in Saskatchewan. So (laughs) yeah, so seeing that, I was like, I want to be that woman. So then every time I'm in the gym, like I make sure I take care of my knees, of my ankles, of my Mm -hmm. hips, 
so that I can still hike when I'm in my 70s. Mm -hmm. Like that is my long-term goal and that has to feed into every single workout that I do, every run that I do, that I am just paying attention. I don't need to be overly cautious. Like, oh my God, what was that? Did I hurt something? Mm -hmm. But just like, no, no, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna take a rest day here. I'm gonna work on my alignment here or balance out the strength differences. But we need to start with the end in mind. So as far forward into the future as you can possibly think and then work your way backwards. So if as far as you can think is Christmas, it's like, hey, what's a a Christmas gift that I can give to myself of, okay, I want to be able to run 10K by Christmas or I want to get back into doing regular handstands by Christmas Mm -hmm. or like there could be a certain movement that you loved doing in the gym with your teammates that you're like, I want to do a clean and jerk. Like I haven't done it for a long time. It's maybe not the best thing to just get right back into no. it. So, <laughs> okay, I want to do that by this time. And then work your way backwards of like, what are all the pieces you need to put together in order to get that movement back in a safe and effective way? Mm-hmm. And and that applies to your social situation, to your work life, to your romantic life, to your financial situation. Like, how much money do you need to have by a certain time? What kind of social, like, interactions do you want to be having next summer? Okay, how can you start setting up the foundations for that so that you can have that type of summer, Mm -hmm. you know? Definitely. I just want to pivot a little bit and talk more about the social aspect of transitioning out of sport and the after, after you've kind of left as an athlete. Jeremy, you chose to transition out of sport. That was a decision Mm -hmm. that you had made and that you were able to make on your own. There was obviously some factors influencing that decision, but I know that there are some folks out there that don't necessarily get to make that choice and due to injury or other life circumstances transitioning out of sport is is the safer option or is the op- the only option that they have i just wanted to kind of start to touch on that and then like what that would look like after because going back to the identity piece and what do i do with my time like that's if you're not expecting to leave sport that can be really difficult mm-hmm. that can be a huge mm-hmm. challenge tina you've mentioned that you've worked with athletes that i've transitioned out of sport due to concussion or or other other factors what what are those conversations like like when they're pseudo forced out yeah <laughs> like yeah. they're still making they're making a choice to prioritize their brain and their the health of their brain and and other goals over sport yeah right so it's not that they really want to be done but they're like ah, it sort of makes sense to be done right now so with them i mean we have conversations about just their whole life Um, So we start off really, really broad of like, who do you want to be as a human being? Like, what are descriptors that, like, I want to be this? What are things you want to do? And what are things you want to have? And and just starting really, really broad like that. And I get them to reflect on those things. And they write down some words. And then we have a conversation about it of like, why these things? Why is that meaningful to you? And often what we get out of this are, are people's values. Some people really like to be adventurous. Some people really like structure. Some people like to help other people. Um, it, does, it doesn't matter what you like as long as you know what you like, right? So that's the whole point of that. Part of the conversation is really starting broad, figuring out people's values, and then, okay, what, when you were younger, did you have other goals like of careers? Like often people are like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do, I mean, I probably had, 50 different things. I think every week I came to my parents and said, I'm going to be this now. And they were like, okay. And then the next week I was like, I'm going to do this job. And they're like, sure. Okay, good. And I I don't know how they did it, honestly. (laughs) But yeah, so just seeing like, are there other interests that they had that they've sort of set aside for their 
the time of their life where they're focusing on athletics? And do they want to like reignite that? Because sometimes it's like, yeah, I thought I wanted to be a teacher and, and I don't necessarily want to follow that. Like, it's not like, oh, I had that thought as a kid, therefore I must follow it. But just, I had that thought as, as a kid. Why did I? Maybe I just had a teacher that I like, they were such a nice teacher. And I was like, man, I want to be like them. So it might be something about that teacher that you're like, I just want to be that type of person for other people. Right? So it honestly ends up involving a lot of reflection and just asking a lot of questions and getting them familiar with what their motives were and how do we address those motives in other areas of their life. Um, what careers might align with their values and their motives the best. But really, like you can live out your values in almost any job, right? So if my job is to, or if my, something that I really value is adventure, well, I can be working at a library, which people might think, well, a library is not adventurous, but I could find adventure and embody in adventure at the library. So you can live out your values in any space, right? And I think once people recognize that, then their current situation, they're like, oh, well, I value accomplishment. Okay, well, I'm currently in this job that I don't feel like I'm accomplishing a lot. So that's probably a huge part of why you don't like that job. So are there ways that you can embody that accomplishment in your current job and if there aren't are there ways outside of that a hobby you can pick up uh, something you can learn or get back to that that you can feed that need for accomplishment but yeah the the conversation overall is a lot of reflection and going what other ways can we meet these needs is there ever a time where it's a discussion of it's in your best interest to step away from the sport health and safety wise because most people aren't are not going to be going professional and you are putting your body on the line when you're in um, a highly competitive sport environment for a long time. And so, like, athlete careers don't last, you know, as long as a non-athletic career. So, like, at the end of the day, you kind of have to weigh the pros and the cons of, this is my third concussion. Should I continue to do this? Mm. Has there ever been any discussions with you and an athlete about those aspects of that transition? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... The important thing is it's it's never my decision. I'm never saying, well, you mm -hmm. should do this or you mm -hmm. shouldn't do that. It's really just asking questions. And at the end of the day, they own their life decisions. And all I can do is say maybe other experiences that other people have had and some of that might resonate with them and they might go, yeah, that person went through that. That doesn't bother me. Or they might go, mm, that person went through that. I don't want to go through that. Okay, I'm going to make this decision, right? They have to own that choice. If that choice is made for them, then that's that's more often where you get into that, like, my regret this or I'm really wondering about it. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, it's probably 50-50 of the times where we sit down and have a conversation about should I leave my sport or not? And we ask the same – I ask the same questions generally. And half the time people are like, no, no, I definitely want to leave my sport. Like, I am mm – -hmm. I'm – I'm just more certain of it now. <laughs> like, and I feel more comfortable with saying that. Mm -hmm. And then the other half of the time, people are like, no, I think you're like, I think I actually just want to stick with it mm -hmm. at least for another season or year or chunk of time. But again, either way, they're more committed, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're staying with it, they know why they're staying with it. And exactly. if they're not staying with it, they know why they're not staying with it. Yeah. And I think that clarity regardless is really useful and really helpful in the long term because you know why you chose what you did. Exactly. Rather than having that choice sort of pushed upon you mm -hmm. or suggested to you and you're like, ah, I guess I don't really know what else I could do, so I'll just go with that. Yeah, that makes sense. How important is it to, I know Jeremy mentioned when you were transitioning, you were asking 
what do you think of me? Who am I? Mm-hmm. How important is that for for people who are who are thinking and considering transitioning out of sport to seek out that advice? And who would be some good people, kind of in, in a general sense, to go to for that? Yeah, I mean. It really depends on the person, depends on your level of self-awareness, how old you are, how mature are the people around you. Like, you might be really mature and maybe the people around you don't have that same insight into who you are. So you can't say, like, well, everyone should do it or no one should do it or this specific person should do it. But anyone who's listening to this could ask themselves, like, who are one, two, three, or four people in my life that I would trust getting that information from, (laughs) that I feel like I could start having a conversation with. And in the first, like it might be one person initially. And then a few months later, you might be like, actually, I could also talk to that person. (laughs) And then like a year later, you're like, actually, those two people would have really useful insights. Like they worked with me through this, that, and the other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so that even who you talk to could change. But of course, it's, it's people that you trust and people that that know you well enough to to assess that. Mm-hmm. And even if they only know you in one area of your life, that's for you to make that distinction of like, okay, it makes sense that they describe me in this way because they only saw me in that one area of my life where I was that way. <laughs> and then in this other area of my life, I was a very different way, right? Some people maybe are really focused and driven in sport. And then maybe when they're hanging out with certain friends, they're like really jovial and lighthearted. And, and so it makes sense that Maybe the coach that they worked with is like, you're super driven, yada, yada. And then their friend is like, no, you're super chill. Like, I don't know why you're, you know, because they're maybe seeing different parts of you, right? So as whoever you're speaking with, as long as you understand that what they're saying isn't 100% of the truth about who you are, that it's their perspective of who you are Mm -hmm. and that you trust that. That's a really good point. Does any of that resonate with you, Jeremy? Oh my gosh, yeah, Yeah. all that. Um, (laughs) As we were talking about that too, I was like, oh, like I can't even try to figure out who I'd want to go to and ask them like, to describe me kind of in, in whatever words they saw best fit. And I, I tried to kind of choose people who did know me or got to know me through different parts of my life. Because I think that was one of the biggest things I struggled with was, like I mentioned, right, not having that identifier of athlete anymore. And of course, I knew people through different parts of my life that weren't athlete or sport related. And I think I was curious as to kind of how people outside of sports saw me or kind of how I kind of maybe even portrayed myself. I definitely went to people within my sport just to kind of see I think to me, they probably knew me best, but yeah, like going to kind of different people who may not know you in different parts of your life. But I found that refreshing because it, like you mentioned, you might have some kind of contradictory or even clashing uh, like um, describers or just like um, ways people describe you. Um, And it was nice to see because I was like, oh, if somebody kind of maybe said I was, like you mentioned, right, passion driven, maybe even like timid in some cases. But I was like, okay, it's it's kind of nice to see that there are different layers to you as a human being. Oh, uh, yeah. And it, it, it is nice. Yeah. We're all we're all everything mm-hmm. in different proportions at different times in our lives. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like we do ourselves a disservice by labeling ourselves so narrow, mm-hmm. narrowly. Like we really could broaden our definition and, and add adding that nuance of who we are really serves us mm-hmm. really and truly our mental health. I mean, we hear it all the time. Oh, I'm a failure or I'm a this, I'm a that. And it's just like, I mean, you failed twice, like (laughs) at this one thing, like, Mm -hmm. but look at all these other times where you didn't fail or how are you defining failure in the first place? And, but regardless, I mean, human beings fall into this trap of simplifying of just like, this is the way that it is. And, And that's your brain trying to have a shortcut. It doesn't want to expend lots of energy if it doesn't have to. So it, it makes sense why it happens. But we also have to know that it does happen and that it's not necessarily the whole truth and it's not necessarily correct. And so getting a bunch of different opinions is is just really, I think, helpful in, in recognizing all the 
elements of our personality and, and who we are. And you touched on this earlier, um, Jeremy, but like, who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Not just who have I been? Mm-hmm. Because again, like people over the course of their lifetimes will sometimes people think of their life as like chapters in a book, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, okay, maybe I'm ready to close this particular chapter and open up a new chapter of like, who am I moving into being? Maybe someone that I've looked up to in my life that I'm like, oh, I want to be like that person or or show up for people in that way. And and then it sort of comes back to that goal setting aspect of like, okay, wh- what are some measurable steps that I can take to move towards that? And yeah. so that 10 years from now, the people who meet me then go, oh, I just thought that's how you always were. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, isn't that funny? Like years <laughs> ago, I used to be like this. Mm-hmm. And so now I've worked on it so often that people think that that's my norm, right? Keeping this particular transition and like keeping in mind that it is one of many life transitions. So like other ways to handle just transitions in general is looking up advice. Like, so we have this beautiful thing called the internet and most people have access to it most days of their lives and using that resource, like really using it, like looking into what have other people gone through before me? Am I the first person to quit this thing? Because yeah. if you're not, someone's been through it. Someone's probably written a blog or put, in some, put some posts. Exactly. Maybe That's they've recorded a device, podcast. Yeah. Maybe they <laughs> have a documentary about it. Like there's so many stories out there. And to start, if you're, if you're sitting at home thinking like, should I or shouldn't I, start watching some of those documentaries. Start listening to podcasts. Like look up that information. Um, ask people. Mm-hmm. Ask people who... Like three years ahead of you, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so intimidated by that person. They're three years older than me, especially when you're like 16 and they're 19 or you're (laughs) 20 and they're 23. It's like, I could never ask them. They'll be happy to talk about their experience Mm -hmm. 90% of the time, right? Like a lot of the time they really do want someone that they can impart some wisdom on and and share what they went through and and the parts that were easy and hard for them. Um, So looking up information, talking to people and really engaging with the role models in your community. Um, so that, again, that could be asking for advice, um, watching certain things, listening to certain things. Um, even if you're less of a, uh, external talker type person, maybe you're like, that all sounds atrocious to me. I don't want to do any of that journaling, right? Mm -hmm. Like get your thoughts out on paper, um, do the reading and stuff where maybe you don't have to interact as much, but that still allows you to sort through your thoughts on it. And then just allowing yourself to feel all of the feels. Mm -hmm. There will be so many different emotions that are going to come with a transition to and from anything. And and I think that part, you know, like (laughs) when people um, say, was it good? Was it bad? Mm -hmm. As if it's only one thing, Mm -hmm. right? Versus like, what are all the different emotions you went through in transitioning Mm -hmm. is just a a more accurate question because Mm -hmm. like we experience so much in, you know, in a five minute span, in a 24 hour period, over a couple of weeks, like to ask someone, how's your experience with COVID restrictions been? You know, like it could be so many things where times you were like, this is amazing. And then at times you're like, this is terrible. I hate this. And and those are all welcome, right? And yeah, that we're allowed to feel a lot of things, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of being a human being is is feeling all of those things and having those highs and lows. And again, like for those who are listening, there's all different types of reasons and combinations of reasons mm-hmm. why you might decide to stay or not stay. And 
there it's just a, a huge process of reflection on what are you willing to handle or not and what are you getting out of that goal so let's say you do want a certain medal you do want a certain title or something what do you personally get out of that mm-hmm. if it's like sometimes it's psychologically people get to go i'm worthy or i'm mm-hmm. okay or i'm you know and so again if it's if it's a feeling that you're going to get out of that can you get that feeling from other avenues if it's a certain amount of money, can you earn that money in other ways? Mm-hmm. If it's a certain life experience, you're like, oh, I really want to travel to that country and that's where that competition's happening. Can you just travel to that country? <laughs> like at some point in your life, mm-hmm. right? So there, it's always, why did I want that thing? And are there other ways that I could accomplish that? Mm-hmm. And just reflecting, talking, learning from other people. And at some point you got to make the decision, right? And yeah. you got to accept the decision that you made and, and like Jeremy sort of mentioned, there's there's ways that you can stay involved in your sport peripherally, uh, judging or yeah. coaching or volunteering, even just doing that workout at the gym. And then people go, what are you working on? And you're like, oh, this is actually what I did in gymnastics. And I'm like, holy crap, that's cool. And then you might pique someone else's interest in oh, gymnastics. Cool, yeah. And then they put their kids in gymnastics. And, and so you're involved in that per sport very per- peripherally, but mm-hmm. you're still influencing it exactly. from the outside, yeah. right? Yeah, that touches nicely on the overarching theme for this series is that like we're talking about a lot of different mental health topics within sport but your mental health is it influences everything mm-hmm. outside of your life in sport and you're more than an athlete at the end of the day like oh, yeah. just addressing all of those layers and how like sport is a part of that but let's also take a look at yourself as just like a human being mm-hmm. so yeah meeting those needs is yeah. important and to consider as well And that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Tina and Jeremy and all of our guests who have been a part of this series. A special thank you to the team at This Is Marketing for producing this podcast, Alana Lieberman and the Athlete Advisory Committee and Sport Nova Scotia for making this happen. Thank you for listening.